0: this is robert clotworthy the narrator of the curse of oak island and i have a question for you could it be that you are listening to the curse of oak island and beyond live stream this is a top pocket find, mate for sure Hey everybody, welcome to the Curse of Oak Island and Beyond Livestream. I am your host, Jeff Freeman, and tonight in the co-host chair, we have Tom Burns. Yeah. Hey, everybody, we have a very special guest tonight. Of course, mm-hmm. tonight we're going to be stepping out to Beyond Oak Island, the beyond side of our name, and we're going to be talking about episodes number one and four from Beyond Oak Island. And tonight, we have a special guest, Rob Westrick. Welcome, Rob.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me. Looking forward to this.
0: Well, it's certainly an honor for you to come on. I tell you, uh, and again, Jan and Linda, you know, Jan setting this thing up, uh, you know, reached out to you and asked you uh, if you would like to come on the show with us, and asked you if you'd like to come on the show with us tonight because we're going to be talking about the this the episode one and four were as was about the the seventeen fifteen treasure fleet, and knowing that you are a researcher and a and a diver and all the background you have, and you were on the show contributing and giving much of your research there so we thought man what a perfect thing to have you on so really thank you so much for coming on with us tonight um and as we get started you know uh this is this was something that um every time we have one of these shows uh whether it be like the show we had previously talking about the river boats that were sunk with matt holly um it it allows me and i know many of our 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 viewers and members of the group to be able to get a little bit more in depth on things we may not have known about before. Um, we've all heard, you know, some of the stories about the, you know, the fleets and the uh, of down going into uh, Central and South America and plundering a lot of gold and silver and stuff from them. And then the ships heading out from there and doing it. You know, much of us, we heard a lot of those stories over the years, but to get this kind of a perspective um, and seeing it on Beyond Oak Island or a show like that, Um, it, it, it really gets my juices flowing to really get out and start looking into these things. Um, and I think that's the case with most of us. I I really do. And, uh, you know, I see, we got quite a few people that are showing up here, uh, for the show tonight. Oh, yeah. We got Jim Wilson from Vero beach. I guess where we're going to be talking about tonight. So, um, uh, really, you know, it, it, having you here with all of your research is uh, really kind of cool. So again, thank you. I'm gonna, I, as my my viewers know, I, I share an awful lot of pictures. Um, and so uh, what we'll do, um, before I do that, I wanted to also say that folks, if you're out there on the YouTube side, if you would click on that subscribe button for us, we really appreciate that. And if you like the content of our show, give us a thumbs up, let us know how we're doing. Uh, we really appreciate that a lot. And more, a lot of times I would go through and say welcome to everybody uh, individually, but tonight I'll just say, hey, thanks for showing up for the show tonight. Appreciate you folks. Um, So to get started and I think Rob, I think he's got a little bit of a presentation that he's going to have for us and that's going to be awesome. So uh, we're looking forward to that too. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, let's see here. Okay. So, uh, as, as you all know, uh, the show that was on, uh, this was on episodes one and four talking about the 1715 treasure fleet. And again, that was uh, our show beyond Oak Island. And, um, you Know they talked. This is uh, this was I grabbed this picture here, was actually part two of that show. Um, and the nice thing about this was that, um, the guys, uh, Rick and Marty and uh, Maddie Blake, uh, ended up going down to uh, Florida and they went down to meet up with Gary Drayton now uh they went down there because they wanted to see about of course they wanted to dig for treasure on the on the beach a little bit with gary and see gary in his uh area of uh his area that down there where he gets to do this all the time um they call that i think they call that the the treasure they they coast. yeah the treasure coast yeah (laughs) that whole area um what an awesome thing right to be able to to hang out down there and go metal detecting whenever you want and uh so i know the guys were looking forward to coming down there and seeing him in his area uh and then looking at his his precious (laughs) the uh the gold and uh emerald ring that he has uh which was like his most his favorite find i think um that was really neat uh to see that and then they got a chance to go down there and meet up with some great people um What I'd like to do is kind of start off with the 1715 fleet, and we know that um, uh, and a a little bit of the history, before we get to that, I guess, um, I'd like to really find out a little bit more about you, Rob, if we could. I know you've got an extensive background. I've seen your resume. It is, you know, uh, very impressive, quite honestly. Um, tell us a little bit about your background. And I know you have a college degree in, in marine archaeology. Is that correct?
1: Uh, yeah, my name is Rob Westrick. I'm originally from uh, Toledo, Ohio, and that's where I was born and raised. Mm-hmm. And my, my story kind of goes uh, a lot like Rick and Marty's, where they got interested in Oak Island from reading the, the Reader's Digest issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, it was, a, it was a National Geographic article. Oh, really? And, uh, my grandparents had... a uh, old bookshelf full of old national geographics and Mm -hmm. you know, we would go over there on weekends. And one day I I stumbled upon the January, 1965 issue of national geographic. There was an article entitled, uh, drowned Spanish, drowned, Spanish galleons yield Spanish gold. Wow. And uh, it was about the story of Kip Wagner, who, who first was the first person in modern day to, you know, find the 1715 fleet. Mm-hmm. And I, I was hooked for life, and I was I was very interested in it and ever since I was a little kid. I've always been interested in shipwrecks and sunken treasure and uh, marine archaeology and and you know all those sort of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, kind of flash forward, you know, to a, a couple of years when I, I was you know still in high school, you know, just to graduate from high school, mm-hmm. and you know, your parents asked, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up, and well. Uh, <laughs> I said, well, I want to be a marine archaeologist. Yeah. And uh, they kind of looked at me like, uh, you want to do a what? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, are, are you going to be living in our basement the rest of your life? <laughs> yeah. Is there really you know, jobs, you know, out there in marine archaeology? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so I kind of went the safe route, uh, went to the University of Toledo, got a degree in business administration. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I used my business uh administration stuff you know to this very day that my writing skills and Mm. and uh, marketing skills and you know and i you know minored in anthropology archaeology and uh you know but very early on i got involved in the 1715 fleet there was a skin diver magazine and there was a monthly column called rec facts by ellsworth boyd Mm. and i wrote ellsworth boyd and i said you know i'm you know, some kid from Northwest Ohio, I'm interested in Spanish galleons and everything. And he said, well, there's a guy named Bob Weller that lives in Florida, and that's what he does for a living. Here's his wow. address. <clears throat> so I wrote Bob a letter, you know, thinking never in a million years is he going to respond to some kid he doesn't know, you know, right out of high school. Right. And uh, as it turns out, uh, Bob was born and raised in Monroe, Michigan, which is about a 15-minute drive from my parents' house. Wow. He wrote me a, a hand-page, five-page letter. I still have it to this very day. Wow. And if you're ever in Florida, look me up, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll go out treasure diving on the 1715 fleet.
0: Wow. That's quite a story. I know. It really is. Wow. That's, and for that to all fall into place like that, that's that's fantastic.
1: It, it fell into place, and, uh, you know, shortly thereafter, I think one of my very first tax returns, I, I took scuba lessons, so I became a certified uh, scuba diver. And uh, my friend Bill Bolander and I, uh, best friends, you know, for 30 some years now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we had met at our first job together, uh, working at an old Woolworth restaurant. Uh, and we went down to Florida to meet Bob Weller. And, uh, of course, he lived in Lake Worth at the time. Mm-hmm. And you get off at the Lake Worth exit on 95 and all the streets are, all the streets are running one way and all the roads are running the other way. He lives in 17th Avenue North, so we got off at the Lake Worth exit, drove to his house, and uh pulled onto his street. And there's a cannon sitting there in the yard, so this has got <laughs> to <has gotta> be, <laughs> right be, right be the. It's got to be the place. Yeah, for sure. And oh, uh, wow. you know, sure enough, uh, and there was a Maytag repair truck parked in the driveway as well. And uh so we went, you know, pulled in and knocked on the door, and Margaret answered, his wife, and she said, "Oh, I'm sorry, Bob's not home right now, and I guess she just." You know, we look crushed probably. And she's like, but, but he, you know, he works right around the corner. I can, I can, you know, give you directions to how to go over and see him. Wow. And uh, so she invited us in and she drew a little map on, on a piece of paper. And as we're pulling back out of the driveway, she comes out like this flagging us down and uh, she comes over to the window and she says, apparently Bob had taken off a, a, a shirt of some type and a gold Gold chain with a Ada Scudo gold coin on it had gone through wow. the washing machine, and that's why the Maytag repair guy was there was to be getting this out of the out of the you know out of the machine. And she said, "Oh, Bob will be so glad he got this out in one piece. Can you please take it to him?" And my friend and I we looked at each other and you know this is a twenty thousand dollar gold coin. She doesn't know oh. us from Adam. Oh wow! And, uh, you know, I guess we look like a couple of honest. Young men, you know. Yep. So, I would say that the
2: Maytag or had a good story to tell too. Guess what? There's <laughs> not a machine today. Yeah.
1: So, uh, and this was in the middle of winter. This was in between Christmas and New Year. Wow. And Bob said, you know, if you ever uh, come back in the summertime, we'll, we'll go out diving. And uh, sure enough, that's that's what I did for about five summers in a row. Every summer, I would take my on vacation. I'd go down and I'd dive on the 17, 15, of Bob. Wow! Wow!
0: That's a great story. It really is. Wow. That's really neat. I mean, and for that, you know, that's not going to, you know, going back to when you told your parents, you know, you you said you told your parents, I wanted to be a marine archaeologist, you know, rather than saying, I'm going to be a treasure hunter, you know, (laughs) but, you know, the the idea of the marine archaeologist for me is, is nice because, you know, you look at it from the archaeology point of view rather than the treasure hunting point of view. Um, You know, we've talked to, you know, we've had some of the guys on our show, Dr. Aaron Taylor, Laird Niven from Oak Island, the archaeologist up there, and they look at everything a little bit differently. Yes, I mean, in the back of your mind, yes, oh, it's great to find treasure. Yes, absolutely. But to be able to put the pieces together through your archaeology and be able to tell the story accurately as you can with those pieces you put together, that's the real treasure, quite honestly. I mean, yes, it's great to come up with a bucket full of gold coins, but to be able to piece that together—that's that's the that's the true the true treasure, in my opinion, anyway. Um, and so. Yeah, and documenting everything like that. It, so. it,
2: it must it must be hard though, isn't it? <laughs> to have that bucket of gold coins and think, <laughs> I'm not going to do much with these. Now I'm going to go tell a story, right? I can't have the coins, but I have to tell the story.
1: It's the story. It's the story and the history behind things, and then the. The history of the 1715 fleet is just fascinating it's, it's been something that you know i've been involved with since i was a little kid and uh mm-hmm. you know and i and i still wanted to be a marine archaeologist i was working for a company uh doing accounting work i was sitting behind a desk and i was plugging numbers all day and i was miserable mm-hmm. and uh, I, I wrote skin diver magazine again i was Rick boy at skin diver magazine <laughs> and uh, i said you know i, I want to go back to school and get a degree in marine archaeology and he said well at the time there was only three schools in the world that you could get an advanced degree in marine archaeology. Oh, wow. There was uh, St. Andrews in Scotland, Texas a and where George Bass was uh, started that program. And there was East Carolina University. Well, i worked with, you know, maybe a dozen people at this company i worked for. Well, one of the, the secretary actually had a sister that lived in Greenville, North Carolina. And I'm like, you know, what are the odds that, you know, three schools in the world, I work with 12 people, and one of them knows somebody that lives in <laughs> one of those cities. So, uh, you know, she, she said, well, I going to talk to my sister. And, you know, I talked to Wendy. You know, if you want to come down and check out the school, you know, you can crash on her couch, and, you know. And uh, this was in February. And uh, I left Ohio, and it was probably well, probably 10 degrees. <laughs> I, I go down to North Carolina, and it's uh, – you know, it's 55 degrees and everybody's wearing parkas and they're all oh, cold fronts moving through. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in shorts and a T-shirt, you know, I'm like, these, these people. It's like no summer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I applied, I got accepted and I started uh, in that fall and studied under Dr. Gordon Watts. And uh, I guess the rest is, you know, kind of history as far as uh, being able to be a marine archaeologist uh, you know, for the almost 25 oh. years now.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What a what a great story. And and for that to fall like I said like we mentioned earlier, for that to be able to fall into place like that. Um and for you to be able to do something, you know, Gary talks about that all the time. He is living his dream. He's able to make a living and living his dream. And that's I mean, you can't ask for more than that. You really can't. Um and for you to be able to get into it like that, um and and be able to do the same thing, that's that's just awesome. So you actually worked for him for a while, so you got to dive on this thing many times. Uh, did you what was some of the I mean obviously you're documenting, but just out of my curiosity or treasure wise, what was some of the things that you were able to find?
1: Uh, I was actually uh, diving on board one of the boats. It's what I, I still do. I'm actively involved in seventeen fifteen fleet when I go on vacation. I'll uh, you know I'll go to Florida. My wife's from Florida. that's where I met her. so we've mm-hmm. got you know family in Florida. And, uh, I'll, I'll go dive into this very day, uh, on different, you know, different people that I know. And, mm-hmm. you know, the Beyond Oak Island show, I know all those guys. I know John Brandon very well. And Mike Perna and, uh, Greg Bounce there, you know, they're all people that I know and, and run in that circle of, of friends with.
2: Wow.
1: And, uh, in, uh, 2015, during the 300th anniversary, I went down to Florida and, uh, I actually was on board a boat where they recovered 351 gold coins over a two-day period. Wow! And that was the, the diving thrill of my life was seeing wow. gold coins on the bottom of the ocean floor, and actually having the privilege to be on board that day and actually recover some of those coins.
0: Wow, that is fascinating. See, that that's the kind of thing right there that was just, you know, you see that, and again, you know, I, there there I kind of go back to my childhood. I want to be a treasure hunter, and, you know, and go down and find that kind of stuff, even an anchor. Things like that. We have, I actually wanted to make mention too. We actually have one of our, another one of our favorite divers, Tony Sampson is actually, uh, oh, Tony yeah. is part of the Oak Island uh, okay. team. Uh, and uh, he does the diving for them uh, around uh, Nova Scotia. And he's uh, working on his own. Uh, well, we're going to find out. I, I kind of was talking to him off air a little bit the other day, uh, talking about some new things that he's got going on. And that's, I'm really looking forward to finding out. Uh, uh, it includes diving and uh, of course, um, on, on wrecks and things like that. So we're really looking forward to seeing about that. So I wanted to just shout out, Hey, thank you, Tony, for coming by here tonight. Um, so that's really cool. And we, he's been on the show and he's, uh, um, we really love hearing his stories as well. So, um, okay. So let's, let's go back now that, uh, we've got some of that information, uh, unless, unless Tom, did you have anything else you wanted nope, to add? No, that's good for me. That? No. Okay. Right. No. Well we're before we get I and again we're gonna jump into the 1715 fleet because that, that story and about Cortez and all that, we're gonna we're gonna jump into that in just a second. Um what well, we know the guys were able to go down to uh the area and meet up with Gary. Uh and here's a shot of them running they're all in the SUV the and are heading down to um the beach to get the. Uh, uh I think it was um the Vero Beach. I think it was called Vero Beach.
1: Vero Beach. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so they're heading down there. And, of course, there they are walking the beach, and Gary's giving them the uh, description of what they are going to find or could find and where they're allowed to look and giving them some tips about the metal detecting, which we know that Gary is an expert in. Um, so he gets everybody started, and they go around. They're working on the beach there a little bit, uh, put some, uh, see what they can find. Uh, then they get to meet up later with John um, Brandon, Uh, the operations manager there at the 1715 fleet. And you mentioned you know him. um, And I imagine you would if you're hanging out down there in that area. Um, And he had a fascinating story talking about all the different finds that he has and how he's been involved in this. Um, Yeah, and the Queen Jewels LLC, Queen's Queens Jewels LLC. Um, And, uh, you know, get out there on the table and was able to talk to them a little bit about that, um, which was really cool. Now, you know, they were, they were discussing the 1715 fleet. Now, we know, and, and Tom and I have talked about this a little bit as we go uh, along here. You know, we've talked about there are so many different fleets, the Concepcion, and it went down. Um, there are so many different fleets that were happening. We, we talked a little bit about, I guess it was the, the, the king at the time, uh, King Philip V um i guess you know he was they talked about how he was in debt and he was telling them to you know bring back some some gold and stuff we need to fill the coffers here a little bit mm-hmm. as we go there i guess it was you know i i and again i and i have to you know go kind of go into your expertise here a little bit um knowing that they the spanish were looking to go there and and try to uh, central and south america they were starting to really expand in that area. They wanted to set up colonies there and everything. And that's when they made the discovery of the gold. Is that kind of how that came about?
1: Uh, That's kind of more or less how that came about.
0: I know I'm being very broad and all of that, but yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I was going to, I was just going to say, what can you, what can you tell us about that and kind of lead us into, I know that they went down there and they, um they i guess uh cortez actually going uh, had they went into mexico city yeah um, i've
1: got a little powerpoint presentation if you'd uh yeah sure let's do that. Right. Right. We'll do that all
0: right perfect all right so bear with us folks as we get this all set up here and somebody asked the question does gold oh that was sharon does gold always stay the same
1: gold gold pretty much stays the same It's it's such a dense metal that uh nothing you could you know nothing grows on it uh where silver will you know turn into silver sulfide and corrode and you know turn black and have Mm -hmm. shells growing on it gold comes out as fresh and shiny as the day it was minted It's, it's an amazing metal
0: it really it truly is yeah i've seen them come up with like silver and when they do it's all encrusted there's sometimes there's like shells on it and stuff like that it's it's hard to tell that it truly is silver to begin with all right, I think I've got it here, so I can add this up on the screen, and I'm going to let you go with that. All right, so right. let just bring that up.
1: There uh, we go. Give, give you a little history lesson, I guess. Uh,
0: awesome, that's what I wanted. I'm great. The right There's a yep.
1: in me and the, the deeper, uh, the deeper meaning behind everything. But uh, all right, uh, Florida's Golden Galleons: uh, hidden history beneath the sand and sea. And uh, basically, we're going to start right when you said 1492. Now, anybody that's ever gone to school in America knows what happens in 1492. Yep. Columbus sails the ocean blue. Oh, the ocean blue. Yep. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he, he, I'll give presentations and I'll ask people what happened in 1492, and I've only had one person that, that raised a hand, and he was from Europe, and he says, well, that's when we threw the moors out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but if, if you were born and raised in America, chances mm-hmm. are, you know, 1492 Columbus discovers America. Yep. And, of course, the main question is, what was he looking for, you know, and uh, you know, did Columbus prove that, you know, the, he proved that the world wasn't flat? No, they, that, that wasn't the way it happened. Uh, basically, by the time Columbus came around, they knew the world wasn't flat. But his idea was, you know, by sailing west, they would reach the east. Mm-hmm. And what they didn't know was, of course, there was two continents in between uh, North and South America, and Columbus uh, kind of died of failure because there wasn't the riches that he had promised the king and queen. Uh, they found a few, uh, you know, some some gold, you know, in the, some of the streams in, in Hispaniola had some gold nuggets and, mm-hmm. you know, some gold dust. But there wasn't the riches that, you know, they had promised. And uh, that all changed a very short time later uh, when the Spaniards discovered the Aztec Empire. And the Aztecs lived in what is today Mexico. hmm And Hernando Cortez, one of the, one of the early conquistadors, he actually marches into Mexico City in 1519. And by 1524, he's completely conquered the Aztecs and the Aztecs had lots of, lots of silver. And so the Spain started shipping back a lot of these silver shipments, you know, back to Spain. Very short time later, you got the Inca civilization. And the Incas live down in what is Peru and present day Bolivia. And once again, lots of gold, lots of silver and Francisco Pizarro, another uh, conquistador basically goes down there in 1534 and by 1536, he has conquered the Inca empire and Spain starts sending, you know, shipments of gold and silver back to the, you know, back to Spain. Well, you know, one of the first things they're going to have problems with, pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, Pirates start attacking these ships, start capturing these ships. Of course, that doesn't go very well with, with, uh, you know, the king. So what they actually do, they they start the fleet system. And the whole idea is that there's safety in numbers, Mm -hmm. you know, we're going to send 10, 15, 20, 50 ships, and pirates might get one or two of those ships, but they're not going to get all of them. There's safety and numbers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the same exact, uh, you know, what we did during World War Two with the, with the exactly, German yeah. U-boats, the convoys. Yep. They, they might sink a ship or two, but they're not going to get all of them. So what they would do is they would actually leave Spain. These fleets would head down. Of course, these are sailing ships, so they've got to follow the prevailing currents, the prevailing mm-hmm. winds. Yep. They sail down past the Canary Islands, and they head into the Pacific, or into the Atlantic Ocean, I'm sorry. But once there, they split up into... Two separate fleets. One fleet goes to South America and the other fleet goes to Veracruz, Mexico. Well, meanwhile, there's a, a, another fleet called the Manila Galleons and they go over to the Orient and they they bring back the riches from the Far East. Now, a Manila Galleon goes completely across the Pacific Ocean. That would be a four to six month journey. Wow. Of course, there's, there's no Panama Canal back then, so they actually right. gotta go to Acapulco. They unload the stuff there, and they actually march it overland by mule, by pack mule, and it goes to Veracruz. Meanwhile, there's everything is basically coming up from South America, Cartagena. They get, they're getting pearls from the island of Margarita, and everything is basically ending up in Havana. And Havana, Cuba is where the 1715 fleet starts its voyage from. Havana is one of the, the biggest, most important cities in the Western Hemisphere at that point in time. Uh, they would rendezvous in Havana. They would catch the jet stream, sail past the Straits of Florida. Once they got gotten about the latitude of Bermuda, they would steer east and if all went well, arrived back safely in Spain. Well, something happens in 1700 that basically changes the course of world history. Uh, any idea what happens in 1700? Nope, go ahead. <laughs> I, I, I give, up. <laughs> give up. In 1700, the king of Spain dies. This is uh, Carlos II. He was the king of Spain. He died childless. Hmm. Uh, Handsome looking fellow. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on his deathbed, he nominated Philip to be the next king of Spain. Okay. The yep. only problem was Philip was actually the grandson of the king of France. So, oh, wow. uh, you know created a very uh difficult situation where Philip was actually in line for both the french throne and the, the spanish throne wow and there would I be an that. opportunity that both of these countries would become united into one superpower country and of course uh, the last thing england and the dutch and the other european countries want is for spain and france to become united so they fight oh. a war and it's called the War of the Spanish Secession.
0: Yeah, that I've heard about. Yep.
1: And in uh, the New World, they called it Queen Anne's War. Mm-hmm. Queen Anne was the monarch of Great Britain at the time. Mm-hmm. And this war lasts from 1701 to 1714. And it's a long, costly, drawn out war. Uh, you know, I always say something's never changed. Wars cost lots of money. Whether it be 2022, we've got to buy aircraft carriers and tanks and Apache helicopters, war is no different 300 right. years ago. Just, you know, the things have changed. So the, the war actually interrupted the sailing of the fleets. And instead of coming back, these annual fleets, they would arrive every year, bringing the riches from, you know, the new world back to Spain. They're severely interrupted mm-hmm. by this war. And they don't sail every year. Uh, 1702, they actually put a fleet together. And the fleet actually sailed back to Cadiz. And they found that the port was blockaded by a British fleet, oh, so wow. they went to a place called Vigo Bay, and before they unloaded the ships, the British, ship, the British ships appeared on the horizon again, they entered Viro Bay, there was a battle that was fought, they captured or sank almost all the ships. Uh, 1708, the fleet is actually in Cartagena, they're loaded, this is the San Jose, it's the richest shipwreck ever lost in the Western atmosphere. Oh, wow. uh, once again, they're preparing to sail. Another English fleet shows up, goes into Cartagena, the San Jose catches fire, powder magazine uh, blows up, she explodes, they capture and sink almost all of those ships. Wow. 1711, they're in Havana. They're all gathered up. Uh, this time there's no British fleet, this time there's a hurricane. So uh, it strikes them before they ever leave. Cuba sinks a, a numerous vessels. So here they are, they're fighting this war. The war's costing lots of money. 1702 the fleets captured and destroyed 1708 captured and destroyed 1711 hurricane destroys the fleet so they're on the verge of bankruptcy and this is when king Philip said the 1715 fleet you know load it with as much treasure as possible i mean spain is on the, the verge of economic collapse they're going bankrupt he says that you know the last of the treasure that's still left send it to the churches, send it to the monasteries. Uh, the mon- you know, so masses can be set for the safe arrival of the 1715 fleet. And uh, it's dangerously late in the hurricane season. He doesn't care. He wants this fleet to, to come back. So the fleet leaves Havana and uh, 12 ships, they leave Havana. They're going to you know, catch those currents, sail up the coast of Florida, go back to Spain. Now, what they don't know, And out in the middle of the Bahamas is a hurricane. Today, you know, we know a lot about hurricanes. We know when they're coming. Yep. You know, we can uh, evacuate. We know what category they're going to be. We can get people out of the way. You know, you turn on the weather channel. They don't have that luxury. You know, they're clueless. They have no idea. They're leaving Havana. It's bright. It's sunny. Nice day out. They have no idea that there's a hurricane coming. And it's headed right for them. Wow. So uh, just a couple more slides and I'll be finished with this. Oh, no,
0: this is great.
1: Yeah, so so they leave. uh, Everything's bright. Everything's sunny. Everything looks good the first day. Second day, uh, you know, the waves are getting a little choppy. By the, you know, by the third day out of port, they are starting to sense something's dramatically wrong. There's there's swells. uh, You know, the sky's darkening. The wind's picking up in velocity. And, uh, you know, basically by the next day, they're at the mercy of the sea. They actually, by noon, it's so dark out, they order that the stern lanterns be lit so the ships can continue to follow one another. And by that night, uh, basically every ship was at the mercy of the sea. Mm-hmm. And one by one, they got smashed to pieces against the reefs of Florida. Uh, you know, there was about 700 to 1500 people that actually perished wow. about 700 died in the, in the event and in the weeks that followed uh, others died of starvation and just the uh, exposure and everything else but they, there was survivors they made their way to shore uh, they set up a salvage camp and they sent word to both St. Augustine and Havana that uh, you know what had happened and basically, the Spanish started selling salvage operations almost immediately. Uh, they brought these guys, uh, you know, from Havana. These were native divers, or they were African slaves. These were breath hold divers. Basically, they would grab a hold of, you know, something heavy like a rock. They would go down. They would look for chests of coins, uh, you know, tie rope to it, and it would get hoisted aboard. And that's how they did their salvage operation in 1715. Now, if, if you were one of these guys, your life expectancy on the job was about six weeks.
0: I was going to say, that. Go, yeah, oh, man, they had to have lost a lot of them.
1: They lost a lot of them. They're going into the holds of ships. There's all kinds of rigging and things to get tangled on. Mm. So a lot of them drowned. Uh, there's archival uh, documents that a lot of them were eaten by sharks. Oh, yeah, that and, too, yeah. And a mm. lot of them just died of exhaustion. They were working from sun up to sundown. Diving and, you know, near zero, zero visibility conditions uh, just into the, the mud and murk and would just so easily, you know, if you get tangled up in something. Now they, they were very remarkable and they actually salvaged uh, quite a bit of the treasure. They were very successful and this, this uh, treasure, contemporary treasure uh, recovery efforts lasted three years. And uh, there's, there's the name of the, you know, the names of the ships that are in the two combined fleets. And basically, they get lost and forgotten you know, into history for the next almost you know 250 years until a guy named Kip Wagner comes on the scene. And Kip mm-hmm. Wagner is the guy who wrote the article that got me interested in this fleet. Uh, Kip was a building contractor from Miamisburg, Ohio. And he had always, uh, you know, he, he would have been right at home in Oak Island. He was always interested in buried treasure and sunken mm-hmm. treasure and and he always heard you could walk the beaches after, you know, after storms and you could find, uh, you know, coins on the beach. Yep. And uh, he wrote a book called uh, Pieces of Eight. This is the this is a highly recommend this book. It's all about his, you know, he was the first one that actually uh, there was a lot of debate whether this was buried pirate treasure or. And he noticed, uh, you know, none of the coins were dated past 1714, 1715. And he's the first guy that kind of surmised that something happened, you know, in 1714. You know, how about a fleet of ships? But uh, let me back up real quick. Uh, he had always heard you could find, you know, treasure and coins on the beach. And this is what he did in his spare time. And he never found a single coin. Oh, wow. You know, would hunt the beach, you know, all of his time off and never. And he finally thought, you know, people were having a, you know, a laugh at his expense. And he said one day, this is in his book, says one of his uh, Worker showed up for work drunk, and he said it was one of his foremen, and he was a good worker. He just had a little bit of a drinking problem, so he thought, you know, he's not going to fire the guy. I'm going to take him, you know, I'm going to take him out, you know, drop him off the beach and let him, uh, you know, sober up a little bit. And uh, left him there on the beach, came back to pick him up, you know, 30, 40 minutes later, and the guy found a handful of silver coins. Oh, wow. And, uh, but it, you know, it kind of made him mad. He said, here's this guy that's as drunk as a skunk. He couldn't even walk a straight line. And, uh, you know, he finds a handful of coins. And here I am fully, you know, looking for years and years and never found a single coin. Yeah. But he learned a very valuable lesson. And he learned that, you know, the Spanish coin that he was looking for doesn't exist. It's, uh, you know, he was looking for bright, shiny round coins. And that's not the way that you find them. And once he knew what he was looking for he started finding these coins on a regular basis and that's when he figured out you know i think something happened he consulted experts at a smithsonian institution and they said yeah there was a fleet that sank at 1715 but uh, it sank in the florida keys and he's like okay i got an expert that's saying you know they sank, you know 200 miles away but I'm finding these coins, and in the end, he was right, and he proved that you know these right. ships. Right. And what
0: what year again was this when Kip was this doing this? Was in that? the 1960s. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, then eventually, Mel Fisher came and worked for him, and they, they mm-hmm. worked together on the fleet, and you know the rest is kind of uh, Treasure Coast history. Wow. And there's there's the group of guys they were they called themselves the Real Eight. The Spanish coin is the eight real real denomination and uh, there's the guys that kind of started it all wow uh got about three more slides and i'll be done
0: okay no this is fascinating uh, very interesting
1: know, once he knew what he was looking for he started finding these coins on a regular basis and uh you know it kind of makes you think about shipwrecks in general now this mm-hmm. is a picture of the titanic mm-hmm. titanic sink in 1912. it's a big steel ship uh, was found in 1985. The Titanic is rusting. It's falling apart. It's actually collapsing, you know, beneath its own weight. Mm-hmm. So here's a steel ship that's been on the ocean floor, you know, barely, you know, just a little over 100 years. And it's, you know, 100 years from now, it's going to be gone.
0: Right. Yep.
1: So we're looking for a wooden ship that's three times as old. So what would be left of a, you know, a 300-year-old wooden ship? And I Hmm. think John Brandon alluded to this on, on the the show the other night, you know, you think of the, the, you know, the skeleton at the wheel and the the mast and no, you
0: you don't that.
1: No. So this is a Spanish galleon in the Florida keys. Wow. Uh, Most people would swim right over that and absolutely have no idea that they're swimming over a shipwreck. Yep. Uh, these are all 17 there's another fleet that sank in 1733 and that's pictures of these wrecks i've dove on all of these in the florida keys mm. and i've got 1733 fleet pictures because uh you can actually see uh 1715 fleet there's not a lot of visibility a lot but here's ballast stones
0: that's what i was going to say those must be ballast stones yeah
1: those are the ballast stones that you look for and these were carried in the bottom of the ship to, you know these are tall sailing ships that uh, to keep the ship stable they would line the halls with rocks. So if you're swimming along and you find, you know, a pile of rocks that don't belong there on the ocean floor, Mm -hmm. once upon a time there was a wooden ship wrapped around that. And that might be the only thing, the only clue that's left. And some of these piles are, are six, seven, eight feet high. Of course you look for other things. Uh, you know, the woods long gone, Mm -hmm. uh, other things the sea can't destroy of course there's cannons these were yeah. these yep. were armed warships that carried cannons well nothing's going to eat a cannon the cannon's not going to deteriorate so you find you find cannons on these ships uh sometimes they're covered with coral and i was really going to say they might
0: be hard to identify they're yep. a little
1: hard to make out but there you can see you can see the muzzle of this particular cannon there's a canvas you know a cannon sitting on the ocean floor wow of course if you've come across something looks like an anchor uh mm-hmm there's a very good chance that could have belonged to a, a ship that, that wrecked. Uh, so you look for cannons, you look for anchors, you look for ballast stones. Now with the 1715 fleet, this is a cannon that's on a 1715 fleet. And this is basically uh, a good day of visibility. Mm-hmm. And then you got days that that's pretty much a normal day. Wow. And then you got days that uh, that pretty much look like this. Wow. wow. So it's uh, diving by field, diving by, by braille. And uh, but you never know what you're gonna find. Uh, you know, everybody always asks, have you ever found any, you know, gold? I say, yeah, but but for every gold coin I've ever found, I've, I've found, you know, hundreds of beer cans and lead sinkers and <laughs> lawn chairs and, and everything yeah. else out there. So uh, that, that's all I've for my uh, screen sharing.
0: Well, that's what's neat right there. See, you've got it laid out. That's where the archaeology comes in right there, is it not?
1: That is. Actually, I'll keep going if, if you want. This is a project that I did in Bermuda. This was a ship that sank in 1690. Mm-hmm. And uh, we actually went down and actually set up this grid, and we actually mapped the whole entire shipwreck when I was in graduate school. And uh, that was real neat. And we actually had the Discovery Channel came out, and uh, they, they oh, wow. joined us and, and did a little documentary and they said, that, that uh, all that stuff you got set up down there, we'd, we'd like to see you put it all back, you know, put it together. Can you take mm-hmm. it apart? And we're like, uh, no, it took us three days to, you know, set it all up. But, I
2: was just, just going to ask you, like, to go down and actually dive and grid all that up must take a significant amount of time.
1: It, it took a lot of time, but this is how, this is the archaeology. This is what I love is, is documenting the ship, documenting the wrecks, and setting up the grids and actually mapping everything and, and they do a remarkable job on the 1715 fleet uh you know they say they're you know they're treasure hunters and they don't care about the archaeology they actually do some of the, the guys that work that fleet are professional and uh you know they you know they, they care about the history and they care about what's going on yep and, and they map everything and it's it's important when they you know they use the blower and they blow a hole for them, this is important to, to plot and chart that hole where they don't find anything is what right. it is, the hole that they find gold coins in. Right. Because, you know, you don't want to go and waste time and be somewhere where, you know, you've already been two weeks before. So exactly. They're very meticulous in their record keeping.
0: Right. And now we have the, 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 the beauty of having a GPS. So you can actually log that location um, for the boat to get back out there and find it where... You know, back in those days, early when they were, you know, having the the, uh, the natives and whatnot go out there and, and you know, they had, they didn't have that. So they had, to, and the visibility would have been bad then too, at good times and bad times of visibility. So, I mean, it's just fascinating that they were able to uh, to do what they did even back then. I mean, look at the trouble you have today. Of course, the ship was still there. The wood was still there. They could still find all that then. Wow. Um, so, and then go inside the hull and look around for stuff. Um, really interesting, too, talking about the ballast stones, uh, the ballast rocks, because, yeah, they would be laid out because uh, they would have been in the in the um, the deep, probably the deepest part of the ship down in the bottom of the hull. And then as the wood rotted away around it here, they just lay in. An, and that would be a good marker, I would think.
1: And it'd be a great marker. And it actually tells the archaeology story of how that particular ship mm-hmm. broke up. Uh, the 1733 fleet shipwrecks that I was showing you pictures of. That was not nearly as uh, fierce a storm, and those ships actually were pushed to ground. They, they ran aground. They couldn't get refloated, and you see these huge you know, ballast piles down there, whereas the 1715 Fleet, there was only one ship that actually survived the storm intact.
0: That's what I and, heard, yeah.
1: And uh, a later storm came, lifted her up. She went up, came down on her anch- own anchor, punched a hole in the bottom of the ship, and that one sank intact. Wow. So there's one 1715 fleet galleon that actually is relatively intact. All the rest are are scatter patterns. Mm -hmm. And uh, from where the first, you know, the ship first struck the reef, ripped its bottom out, and some of these scatter patterns go for miles. I would guess so, yeah. And that's what these modern-day salvers are doing. They're actually working the debris fields.
2: One thing Uh, I was wondering about the the 1715 fleet, They've been traveling back and forth to Europe for 200 years. So they're going to have a pretty good idea when the stormy season is. Why in the world would you head out, at, you know, at that time of year with that much invaluables to try and cross the Atlantic Ocean?
1: That's and, that's the billion dollar question. And uh, Well, and
0: desperation, it, it was, sounds like. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. It was desperation. I mean, King, both... Both of the fleets' commanders were well aware that it was late in the hurricane season, and you know they actually wanted to delay for another year. And that's when Phillips sent the order: "No, I want the fleet to sail now yeah. with as much treasure as possible." And it was no. dangerously late in the hurricane season. And uh, mm-hmm. now, with
2: their with their with with the pilots' experience of seeing that type of storm come up behind them, is there no way they could have turned those ships to shore or to cove, or did they? Maybe just decide what the heck we're going to make a run for it.
1: They, they tried. I mean, of course, these are sailing ships. It's not yeah. as easy as just turning around. uh You're kind of at the mercy of the seas and winds and currents. Yeah. And once they were in the Florida jet stream, I mean, they, they were past the point of no return. Okay. Once they were along the coast
0: oh, of Florida. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, and you know, and, and I don't know. Uh, do you know what you know? Obviously, the fleet didn't make it there. So. Uh King Philip didn't get his his needed gold and all that to help him out, uh being in debt. So what do you know what happened with that? It never made it. So what happened with him? Do you are you are you did your research go into that part of it too? Or I know Yeah, I- this is the
1: 1715 fleet, and then like I said, uh, 1733 was another fleet that didn't make it. And all of this stuff uh kind of was the beginning of the end of the Spanish Empire. Uh, you know before all this was happening that's that's why I said 1700 you know something that you know happens to change world history mm-hmm. and it was you know the destruction of the 1715 fleet and uh, the subsequent fleets you know Spain went from being you know they were they were a superpower back in the day yeah and yeah. this was kind of the, the the opening chapters in the you know the the rise and fall of the Spanish Empire this was the beginning of the end
2: Wow. So the the seventeen fifteen fleet, they were able to recover about what sixty or seventy percent of that gold. Where where did it go? Did they stash it away somewhere?
1: They they salvaged it. It actually went back to you know they sent some of it back to uh, both St Augustine and Havana. Some of it made it all the way back to Spain. Oh, so uh, they did the, get some of it then. Okay. But uh, one of the problems they started having right away also was piracy and the 1715 Fleet Salvage Camps were actually raided by uh, several different pirates. Uh, and, yeah, somebody
0: uh, was asking that. Somebody said that. Wouldn't there be pirates, you know, trying to stop them or, you know, steal what they were recovering? Um, yeah. So, and you I had, wondered.
1: Yeah, they,
0: they, they were actually, the no,
1: you know, the, the peace treaty had been signed and they were no longer at war, but it kind of was open season. Yeah. Uh, and these, you know, the governor of Jamaica was Archibald Hamilton. And he actually kind of condoned it, looked the other way. Uh, you know, he could not stop his sea captains from going and raiding the 1715 fleet. He uh, no. says in his writings that uh, it's like a dog returning to, to its vomit. There's no yeah. stopping them. And uh, you know, the, some of the you know the archival research that so so pirates got some of it. Uh, I you know, expect
2: probably. I expect probably that the that the. Various governments probably had their own privateers as well at the time, wouldn't they? Absolutely. Go get some and bring it home for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Get some of that and bring it to us. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You've got a couple people that are jumping up here that may, uh, there's a a guy by the name of bill black. That's popping up here.
1: Uh, Oh yeah. Bill's, Bill's one of the real good guys in the business. Uh, he's got a, you know, he's, he's one of the modern day, uh, he's got a salvage company and got several salvage boats. And uh, he's he's you know works under a subcontract agreement with John Brandon.
0: Oh, okay, wow. Yeah, so you got a you got a fan club jumping up here. So there's uh there's another one. Oh, this one here. Uh Saint Lucy Metal Detecting. Is I did I pronounce it right? Is that Saint Lucy?
1: Saint Lucy.
0: yeah metal detecting channel. Hi, Bill. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of people that uh are jumping on here. Thanks you guys for coming. I appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, really cool. I tell you, and somebody had mentioned the the parts of history that we didn't, you know, learn in school, um, and I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, you know, say more about that. That's why, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, before your presentation was that, you know, they, we hear about some of these things. Yes, I knew that this this the conquistadors were down there, and they were, uh, you know, basically you know, took over the, uh, or conquered the Aztec empire and the Incas and everything. And so you hear about that, but you never really know really a whole lot about it, or I didn't anyway. And maybe back then I didn't really care, whatever, but now I do. And it's so, so interesting. So now we're reading these things and then we get to see it on the show. And it's like, I I just, it just, I end up having a thirst for knowledge on this and wanting to learn more. And I've got pages and pages of stuff that I looked up just because it is so so interesting and then <clears throat> to find out now um you know that that some of that treasure is still around and i guess like tom was saying what you say 70 or 80 percent was found there's still a lot that has not what's yeah. your I, what's your opinion on how much might still be
1: left my opinion on that is there, there's still quite a bit left to be found and uh one of the things that kind of has been abundantly clear uh, there was a lot of contraband, you know, I say times change, but people don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's people that try to cheat the IRS today. Mm-hmm. There, it was no different back then. The King got one fifth of everything that was brought back. They call it the King's Royal fit. And, uh, you know, the merchants, the passengers, they all carried, you know, smuggled cargo on board and, you know, every blanket, every bag probably had coins hitting, you know, hidden inside, uh, There was a spanish galleon that sank off the coast of saipan that had never been salvaged by the spaniards and archaeologists were actually able to salvage this particular shipwreck and they come to find out it it was carrying seven times what was on the official fleet's manifest oh really so we know that the 1715 fleet you know was carrying 14 million pesos in gold and silver right but the, the true amount could be you know, two to five to seven times more than
0: that. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. You know, and that was something too that on the show, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, bring up this picture. They were talking about these. Uh, and again, I had no idea. It's like when we were talking about the steam, the steam, the riverboats uh, last week. I had no idea there were so many that had gone down in the, in the Mississippi River and the Missouri River and Ohio River. Had no idea. And this is what the, the same thing. I'm going to show this picture here. Um, this is where, whoop, let's see. Oh, there we go. Um, this picture here showing, I think they said something to the extent of, if I find it, 681 plus treasure vessels lie along from Cuba all the way up the eastern seaboard. Is that is that a, is that a fair estimate in your opinion? Yes, I mean, You absolutely. probably have a better knowledge of that than we do.
1: <laughs> no, and, and they say that for every... Every mile of coastline in Florida, there's a shipwreck, and oh, wow. I, I have no doubt that that's an accurate statement. Wow.
0: So, uh, so yeah, I'm I'm getting to be an older guy, but man, maybe I need to go down there and get. <laughs> I need to get my metal detector and get down there with Gary and start working the shoreline. I don't know about diving. I have dove before. I'm not anywhere. I'm just an absolute amateur. Uh, novice diver, but uh, man, wouldn't that Tom? Wouldn't that be awesome? To that
2: be, would be something that. to see. It really would.
0: <clears throat> I mean, just to go down and see an anchor, I, I would be fascinated. to Go, oh look, it's an anchor. It's an actual anchor from a galleon or something. That would be fascinating.
2: <laughs> Actually, little sharks in the water. So I would send you down with the camera, Jeff. <laughs> 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 I would be the Maddie Blake. I'd be up on the
0: boat. Would be the up on the boat. Yeah. All right. Well, that's. Uh, I would go down as long as we got somebody that Yeah. The sharks. Oh my goodness. You know, that was uh, talking about the natives that were out there or, or the, the indigenous folks that they've got to. And I guess they basically just, I don't know what the, how they convinced them or forced them to go and do this. But, you know, you know, you talked about the, the sharks getting them and the, the drowning when they're down there getting tangled up and stuff. And then the pirates, it's a wonder they were able to recover anything at all. I mean, really, you think about it. My goodness. How deep would they go, Rob? Could, they, these are basically pre dry
2: free divers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, how deep would they be asking these people to go?
1: Well, these shipwrecks are in, you know, 15 feet of water. These uh, that's not it's too bad. It, it's amazing that, you know, this fleet, that's what wrecked them. They were driven, mm-hmm. you know, into the, into the reefs and suppose, struck their bottoms yeah. and, and ripped their <laughs> bottoms out. So we go out there and, you know, on a typical day, you might be, you know, you might be in five to 15 feet of water 90% of the time. These oh wow! Not,
0: so this picture—this is one of the pictures that was shown on the TV show—and obviously, it was somebody had created this. But I'm about ready to sneeze here. But this picture would probably be very close to being true then.
1: Very much.
0: <laughs> excuse me. So they—they they, so when this first happened, and then they set up these um, camps. Excuse me. Set up these camps to be able to go and and so a lot of the ships were probably still visible and just ripped apart like you said they might have they might have been ripped apart by the reefs and then be spread out over a long period or long area but they would probably be visible and some of them anyway
1: yeah a lot of them were still you know had sections visible and mm-hmm. one of the things they would do to access the lower holds is they burn these ships to the water line uh, that that accomplished two, uh, <clears throat> You know, two things. It it hid, hid the ships from, you know, prying eyes, you know, yeah. other vessels, pirate yeah. ships sailing by, and it also opened up those holes so that, you know, the divers could get into there a little bit better.
0: Yeah, so else or we heard rumors about burning ships, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Burning ships, right? <laughs> Swamp. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that was kind of an interesting story that we had last mm. night talking about that very thing. They were talking about the Concepcion um, and, uh, and the fact that um, Phipps uh, William Phipps was, uh, I had found it, um, initially and was, you know, gathering up much of the, he took back a lot of stuff back to, um, England at the time, cause England wanted it. So he took back a lot of stuff to England, um, quite a bit of the treasure. Then he came back to get some more and he only ended up going with 11, about 11,000, um, British pounds at the time. Uh and but and then that uh, one of the ships that his was with him was spotted up in Nova Scotia in Mahone Bay area and then burned at uh Porto LaBari. La I think it was uh, Port Labari, something like that. Um Porto Labari. And so uh so yeah, so we know or we speculate that not all of the treasure that was recovered made it back home some of it might have been way laid off someplace else yeah the ship was called the swan thank you john um the, the the one that ended up up in nova scotia area and then burned and so i mean some of that treasure didn't make it it was you know sent off someplace else now why would that you know think somebody's thinking about a retirement plan uh you know not going back to england or you know <laughs> and setting it up so i mean this, this is where, you know, those of us who follow the Oak Island story get so fascinated by this because we're thinking that a lot of that may, some of that treasure may have made its way up to Nova Scotia. And could it have been, you know, uh, how many different countries were using Oak Island for different purposes? But again, that's, a, uh, that's an interesting story that they're still trying to discover by going through all the finds that they have there. So... Um, So Kip Wagner, you know, he's the one that was – that was the guy that was originally finding all of this. Right. And then did it – and then you had the group that was there. And then – so that was all back in the 60s, though, right?
1: That was all back in the 60s.
0: So what happened between then and and now? I mean, was there still other teams looking for it, or was there –
1: Kip Wagner actually, uh, you know, applied for leases and was was given leases by the state of Florida. Mm -hmm. Now, all of his guys were – you know pretty much most of his guys were, were involved in the, the space race a lot of them worked at cape canaveral oh, wow uh, you know that's what was going on in the 60s you know? right so you know right. you gotta put it into history perspective so these guys kip Wagner's guys were basically weekend warriors uh and they realized what they were finding that you know you know it's going to take us you know multiple lifetimes going out here and, and oh absolutely on the weekends And one of the guys, uh, one of his team went out west to uh, California. And that's where he met Mel Fisher and Mel Fisher had already done a few treasure hunts and Mel Fisher said, I want to bring guys, you know, with me, you know, full-time guys that could work the fleet and, uh, you know, we'll work together. And that's what happens. Uh, so Mel Fisher ended up getting his team to come from California. They agreed to come over and work for one year without pay. Wow. And uh, they were on their 360 some days of not finding anything, and they went on one of the wrecks. It's right off of Fort Pierce, Florida, and they used a mailbox to open up the the bottom of the sea, and it was just covered with gold coins. And that happened wow. in almost a year to the date. That that was, uh, you know, kind of the rest of his treasure history because uh, <laughs> yeah. Mel Fisher went out to become famous. He went and looked and found the atocha uh he was actually his he was given the the rights these are all ad, admiralty mm-hmm. the admiralty court has awarded the salvage the salvers rights to these shipwrecks and queen's jewels you know is actually the legal custodian of these shipwrecks mm-hmm.
0: yeah um yeah uh, john uh, edwards who is a co-host with me for a lot of the oak island stuff and beyond our world that we do uh, had said something about one of his favorite movies of all time, The Deep, was based on one of the ships breaking away from the 1715 fleet prior to the hurricane, taking the fleet down. Was there ever a register of specific treasure artifacts like in the movie? Was that true?
1: Part of that actually is true. Ah. And, uh, it actually There was one ship that actually survived. Uh, there was a French ship that was in Havana at the time called Le Griffon, Mm-hmm. And they didn't want the Le LaGrafon to sail ahead of time, lest you know, she get captured by pirates and, hey, by the way, the, the Spanish treasure fleet's getting ready to sail in two days. So they were not allowed to leave port, and they got permission to sail with the fleet. And actually, as soon as they left Havana, it kind of took off ahead of the other ships. And it, it actually is the only ship that survived the hurricane. It had gotten oh, far enough north. It arrived back in Europe, unaware of what had happened.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. So it made it back with some of the treasure. Interesting. So um, getting back to the show a little bit, you know, we, you know, and again, uh, it was really and I I just have to say it was so interesting for the guys to be able to share this information with us. And it opened up our eyes uh, to what's going on or what happened out there. Here's another gentleman that was uh, on the show. Um, and, I, and I would imagine you probably familiar with him. Uh, We're we'll bringing this picture up here. This is uh, Dr. J- uh, John DeBry. Are you familiar with John? I, I,
1: know, I know Dr. DeBry, uh very well. He uh, has been involved in the 1715 fleet for many, many years. And uh, he started a company called Historical Research and Development, and I actually uh, dove with them for a few years. Really? That's kind of how I got my start. So, yeah, I know Dr. DeBry. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, they, this museum that's set up, and I would love to go and see this. By the way, and this is this dedicated solely to 1715, or is it more broad than that?
1: that? that is dedicated solely to the 1715 fleet. It's the McLarty Treasure Museum. Yeah, that's right. Yep, and mm-hmm. uh, it is actually built on one of the locations of one of the salvage camps.
0: Oh, re- oh, wow, wow.
1: So you could actually there's a boardwalk. You can walk out the boardwalk, and you can actually uh, see you know the salvage vessels working. The cabin wreck kip wagner had a cabin on the beach uh back then and mm-hmm. so it's kind of been called the cabin wreck for all these years because it's a, it's right off the beach from his cabin yep.
0: yeah some of these pieces that, that and i just grabbed a couple pieces uh looking at uh you know some of the things that were recovered just fascinating i mean oh my gosh i mean just you know gary talks gary drayton talks about that ring he calls it his precious uh, the uh, gold and the root, um, uh, the gold and the emerald uh, stones in it. Um, 22 and a half carats. Oh, I know. Is that, that thing's fascinating. And you look at these things. I mean, would it, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like to find something, even one little gold ring. He had that one that was actually crushed and he showed it to the guys when they were at his house. And he said, Yep, this one was crushed. That's the way I found it. And even to find something like that, I would just be beside myself to to discover something like that but then once i did and that's where the other side of this comes in for me once i did find something like that i would have to try my best to find out the history behind it that that's that that would intrigue me yes it's beautiful it's great i would be fascinated like hamilton white says you find your your you get your next thing and you're fascinated for a while, but now I need to know the history behind it. Where did it come from? Who had this? How did it end up here? And you may it may be modern, but then again, it may not. It might be something that you found that's that's really really uh, old. Wow. So the guys end up back, and you we get into the second portion of the show, the uh, the second episode, which was actually episode number four. Uh, The guys met in the war room with Gary and they were talking about going um, out and doing, uh, you know, going out in the boat. Now, this is the part where, you know, some people were more fascinated, which I mean, the first show, the episode number one that that you were in uh, really gave us a lot of information about the 1750 15 fleet. But again, and I I say this to so many different people that we have a guest we have on the show that have been on the TV show that hours and hours and hours of film are taken and a lot of it ends up on the cutting room floor that's why we it is so uh great to have someone like yourself to come on here and give us a more in depth uh, things you probably uh had mentioned on the show but then you were only there for you were on for what a couple minutes you know on the show <laughs> and so it's so nice to oh that's right yes uh, thank you linda linda said you were also in episode number four um, but you were able to come here and explain it in more detail. And that's the beauty of having you come on. And again, I can't thank you enough for it. Um, but here, here they go out and they, they were able to, uh, they're, they're actually talking on here with, um, with John um, and they were able to you know, talk with him and he was telling Maddie, hey, we're going to go out and we're actually going to dive on some wrecks if you'd like to, you know, they said, oh, we got somebody that would like to go with you. And of course there's John. And Maddie does. He shows up out there and uh, there he is there. When, and it, this looks like a you know, garage or whatever that John was showing him some stuff. Um, so they get together and they head out. And he was showing this pattern of how they search. Um, and that's, that was pretty interesting as well. What, what type of, uh, of a, a mechanism or, or electronics are they using for something like this?
1: That would be a magnetometer. And okay. It detects the ferrous metal and uh, once again, you're you're looking for uh, the cannons and the anchors. And you're running a search pattern, mm-hmm. uh, but it's only ferrous metal. Uh, you, you could go right over a pile of gold coins and it wouldn't even right. register. Right. But you're looking for those clues. You yeah, know? you
2: got to find the clue first and then hopefully the gold
1: is You know, that shows there's a ship there and then what that ship was carrying has got to be, you know, somewhere in the, in the nearby vicinity.
0: Right. Uh, then they meet up with this gentleman here, Greg Bounds, um, for one of the boats. I didn't know. Are you familiar with this gentleman as well? Or,
1: yeah, I, I know Greg,
0: <laughs> you know, all these guys. I mean, you would if you're down there working with them all. That's that's fascinating. Um, yeah, so hey, so they met up with him, and this shows the actual pattern, I guess, that was taken from that magnetometer. Um, this shows what the, the data when you put the data through the computer and everything, and this is what it's showing you um which is really interesting to me um uh, that's
1: actually that's actually one of the maps where i was telling you they record every every hole that they dug and this is a a gps and every one of those little circles represents a hole that's been blown and uh i think blue i don't know the legend of this particular map but i believe the blue the, the darker blue is silver
2: Blue, the blue was silver, and the, the red, red was, was
1: gold. Yeah, the blue okay. is silver, yep. the red is gold. Uh, of course, there's copper. There's, you know, other, you know, a lot of lead.
0: Right. So they got this, and then they were able to go out. Oh, he was showing some of the few more pieces of things that they had found um, out there, and he got he was able to show them to uh, Maddie, and you know, of course, get him all fired up. You know, oh boy, we have a chance of finding this kind of stuff. Uh, Here's where they go out and they read with uh, Rich and George uh, on the one of the boats there um, and head out. Uh, And so there's just a a shot of the boat that they are this one here that they're going to actually there's several that go out. I would imagine Um, that one of the things they talked about when they went out there and and you could probably elaborate on this more. I had no idea when they take the small uh, boat and they run out the tie out the lines and they put like a triangular pattern of the anchor lines out to hold it in position. Mm-hmm. So is that, I mean, obviously that's mad, modern practice, rather if you put, if you put down just a single anchor, you know, the boat's going to f- you know move all around that based upon the, the, the current and the, the wind and all that. So putting out those three kind of holds it in position better, I would assume. Correct.
1: That is correct.
0: This is the part that really, fa- I had no idea. That this was even possible and again you you would have to be in somewhat shallow water i don't know how deep you could do this but putting down those those tubes over the props and taking the prop uh wash i guess you would call it the prop wash and using it to jet the area below is that I and mean, when did they come up with something like that
1: that was actually a, a mal Fisher invention how was it? And it actually, uh, the whole idea was that the, the clear water was at the surface. They get down, you know, in the bottom where it's darker that they, they couldn't see. So they wanted to bring clear water from the surface down, you know, down to the bottom. And they actually, lo and behold, uh, we've just invented a, a way to actually move sand. <laughs> so uh, tremendous excavation technique that uh, some of these boats, you know, can, can blow massive holes. They can wow. throttle the engines back. So... You know, they won't even flip a coin over. It's very, very, uh, you know, scientific.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, they mentioned on the show last night that they work up to a depth of 30 feet. That's right.
0: Wow. Now, if, if this is, you know, obviously they're stirring up a lot of stuff, how long would you have to wait? Provided that it's a day where you have maximum visibility. And this goes in there and does this. How long would you have to wait for this, to, this cloud that you've just created to dissipate so you can actually dive?
1: It's going to depend on, on how much current there is to, to mm-hmm. take it away. And it's also going to, how long you, you know, blow is going to depend on how much sand you're trying to remove. Yeah. You know, if you've got 10 feet of sand, uh, you know, it's going to take you a lot longer than if you know, you're trying to get through 5 feet of sand. Yeah, very so, true. you yeah,
0: got a lot of factors into play on that.
1: So they'll, they'll rev, you know, they're, they're anchored in place. The prop wash is getting deflected towards the bottom. It's mm-hmm. creating a hole. You know, they might stop five minutes in, send a diver down to see how it's looking. And he right. might come up and say, we're good to go. Or he might say, let's, you know, blow five more minutes. And
2: So some of these artifacts could be buried quite deep under the sand. Then, what, what would be sort of a really deep find under the sand?
1: Well, when I was out there, uh, like I said in 2015, uh, and they found the gold coins, it was it was actually in really about eight feet of water, five to eight feet of water, and then they they were under, you know they had to blow through ten feet of sand. So you you're wow over 10, feet.
0: ten feet of sand. Oh my goodness, that'd be that would <laughs> you think about that? That's incredible. Really, I mean. Uh, being able to get down now is when you move remove that sand are you getting to more of a hard pack bottom at that you're point? you're trying
1: to get down to the hard bottom that, okay you know the things basically will you know will work its way over time through the you know currents and subsequent uh-huh. storms this stuff's constantly being moved around and of course the heavier stuff the dense stuff like gold is going to work its way down to that hard pan right now so
2: last last night they were actually using the diver came up and actually got a knife Mm-hmm. to go down and chip the artifacts out would that be pretty common
1: that, that'd that be pretty common
0: yeah so obviously you it's not something you could dig with your hands you got to get something to really chip away at it to get I, down.
1: It, it just depends the, the very yeah. first coin i ever found which was, was right there on top of the reef and i literally moved my hand a couple you know hand fanning and there was a coin so you, you'd never know
0: wow wow that's just fascinating i mean i'm so intrigued by that i would just love to do this i mean it, Oh my goodness. This is what I was talking about before about the silver. Um now silver I'm assuming is not the only gold you said that nothing really uh, attacks or gets all over it and encrusts it like this. Um but I, I imagine that silver's not the only thing was it was it iron get crusted like this as well or is the, it
1: this silver and the iron and almost almost everything except gold ends up getting, you know, encrusted.
0: Right. I mean, how would you even recognize something? I mean, I guess a trained eye, after you've been doing it for a long time, you could, or if you just find a chunk of something that's not going to break apart immediately, chances are it's something that's been encrusted. Is that kind of...
1: That's, that's that's correct, yep.
0: Okay, all right. Because so I would, how, you know, would that, you, oh, sorry. I'd go right over it, not even, you know, no, that it was anything to look at. Go ahead, Tom. I was going
2: to just ask briefly, how would you de-encrust something like that like yeah, that's out. a good
0: question yeah uh,
1: you know they've actually got a conservation lab and they actually would do reverse electrolysis and put this in a, a tank with solution and run a current through it and it'll start breaking up you know it'll start breaking that apart and they'll be able to find out what's what's inside there and conserve right.
0: it um okay yeah i was just got reminded you said about an hour and a half so we got about 15 minutes left of your time here so um yeah here were some more pieces that were brought up and again uh you you can't even really imagine what it does maddie was trying to guess what these pieces were and most of the time he was wrong um but it, but i wouldn't have any clue i'd be you know completely clueless as to what these were um and again i would pass right over that
1: diving well, i would never know yeah. yeah yeah that, that actually is probably uh you know you can see the ship spikes and you know the general shape of some of the stuff
0: mm-hmm. i was really fascinated by those rings that went like it went over the end of a of a, a mast and then you've got the and i don't know what they're i'm not i was in the navy in the u.s yeah. navy but i don't know i wasn't on a sailing ship like that but you got the mast and then you've got that that beam that goes across and then there's those rings on the end for the for the sails to the ropes and stuff to attach to they found some of those as well um yeah. There's one right there. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and again, you know, you would see that ring. Now that would, if you see a circle like that, okay, that's gotta be something spars. Okay. Bill just yep. jumped in and said spars. Okay. Thank you. Right, we should, have, <laughs> we're going to have to have, we're going to have to have more of you guys coming on the show yeah. at some point. I mean, this is, I'm just fascinated by all this stuff. So, I mean, all these guys that showed up to, I say guys, people that showed up to, uh, to uh, join in this, I, I we're going to have to have a show just on, uh, all of these shipwrecks. I mean, we could talk for hours. I mean, this is fascinating stuff. So thank you, Bill, for jumping in and, and uh, joining in with this. I appreciate that very much. Yeah, there's the picture that we sh- they showed on the end of that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yep. Interesting. And, and again, that's where you're starting to narrow down. You see, you start seeing these things. Yep. Okay. We've got definite uh, a shipwreck there. Um, then they jumped over here later. They were talking with John and this gentleman here, Mike Perna. Um I guess he's also part of the Queen's uh, Jewel LLC.
1: Yeah, um, Mike Pern, Mike Pern is a subcontractor, a great guy, one of the one of the hardest working uh, guys I've ever met. Uh you want know, me to share my screen again? I'll show you. Uh, another okay, picture.
0: yeah, please. Let me jump let me pull mine out of the way and let's see. There we go. Yes, please do. bill black said every time i listen to rob talk uh listen or talk to rob i learn stuff yeah (laughs) i'll bet bet so that's what i say we could go on for hours
1: okay
0: oh he said that he would actually said the prop wash deflectors can work in water up to 110 feet but the deeper you're working the slower the sand is moved yeah makes total sense but i didn't know it could go that deep my goodness
1: You got my Oh, sorry, yes.
2: There'd be some motor to push that water down. Yes, it would.
1: <laughs> yeah, this is a, a very famous salvage vessel called the Virgilona, and it was it was run by Mo Molinar, who was uh, one of Mel Fisher's guys that came over from California with him. Mm-hmm. And uh, I worked with Mo before, and at that point in time, the guy there in the little whaler, that is Mike Perna. Oh, wow. So he was the guy that was uh, running the anchors out, and uh, mm-hmm. like I said, a real a real hard worker, a real real nice guy. He's been doing this a long time. There you can see the blowers on the back of the boat. Yep. Uh, there you can get it. That'll give you an idea of how close to the, the beach you're. Oh
0: working. wow! I had no idea. Look at that.
1: I mean, you are literally in a lot of uh, you know a lot of instances, you're a stone's throw from the beach. Mm. Sometimes you have people from the beach swim out. Hey, what are you guys doing?
2: <laughs> I, I was just going to ask, do you have much yeah. problem oh, with nothing. it? When, when no, you're not working really.
1: Uh, when, you, when, you find lots of uh, pottery, you know, basically, uh, you know, it's all their food stuff, all their drinking water, all this stuff was carried in, you know, clay vessels. Hmm. Uh, you find a lot of porcelain shards. So this porcelain would have been made in, you know, in the far, far east, in the orient. It would have been loaded aboard a, a manila galleon would have been, you know, take a four-month voyage across the Pacific Ocean, loaded into, you know, onto a mule in Acapulco, marched overland, taken advantage So this particular piece of porcelain was found in the dunes. A lady swam out from some condos one day, said she had found something, and wanted me to look at it. And uh, so this piece of porcelain has traveled, you know, three-quarters of the way around the world.
2: Wow. And here's
1: here's something that, uh, you know, this is a way you find something. And uh, any idea what that might be?
0: I was gonna say a helmet or a cannonball maybe or something. That is
1: a cannonball, very, very oh, wow. good. That's a, That's oh. an encrusted cannonball. Wow. And you would put this in that elect, the light solution and then, you know, you you'd, would come, all that encrustation uh, would fall off and you'd end up with, with a cannonball. Wow. Uh, there's a typical silver coin that you found and that, that's why Kip Wagner wasn't finding, you know, coins. Who's looking for bright, shiny, round coins? And they didn't make them. These, these were made, it's They were top top coins. They were laid out in a in a bar, trimmed to the proper rate, and just hand stamped by you know the native population. Mm-hmm. So yeah. the neat thing about 17 15 fleet coins, no no two are alike. They're all different. Very uh, they're regular. Likes, they're like snowflakes.
0: Wow, and, I had uh, no idea. I I problem, would be the same way. I'd be looking for a round coin. I man.
1: Well, one of the problems they actually had the Spanish account the economy was uh, they would take these coins and, uh, you know, let's say, uh, Jeff, you're you're a merchant and you're selling something and Tom wants to, to buy something from you. So he's going to pay you with a Spanish silver piece of eight. and But before he pays you, you uh, he's going to clip off a little corner of the coin. Yeah. Now, of course, you're just as dishonest as he is. So before you go buy something, you're going to clip off a little corner. So the, the <laughs> coins were getting smaller and smaller. That's where the, the term you shortchange somebody comes from. Oh,
0: really? Is Is that, I know that that's idea. cool. So, uh, yeah.
1: so it's, it's a, they're paying you with a silver coin that's not the proper weight that it's supposed to be. So in, in 1732, they actually start making round coins. So, you know, obviously, if I was to cut off a, a corner of that coin, somebody would know, you know. Yeah. I mean, so uh, if you find, you know, a 1715 fleet, is going to be carrying coins that are all irregular cop type coins. If you find a shipwreck that's post 1732, you're going to find round coins. So just as an archaeologist, you know, there's there's little things that, uh, you know, are little clues.
0: Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. I heard so, I heard about cutting a piece off. I I did hear about that, but I never knew. So you said 1732, they started making them round?
1: 1732 in the new world, they started making uh, okay. round coins, which were called pillar dollars. And they were made that by down. a screw press machine. But all of the 1715 fleet coins are these cop type coins, and they're all, you know, different, you know, irregular shapes, and you know, they're just uh, you know, the, these people at the mint would would hand stamp these so obviously you' you're putting the coin on a die and you're hitting it with a hammer so probably the coins you were you know striking early in the day probably have nice bold strikes mm. yeah at the end of that day that hammer is getting pretty heavy
0: yeah I like that one right there in the top it's kind of faint you know it's like yeah. okay you didn't get that one stamped very well wow so that's uh, so interesting
1: and then of course you know, you know, the gold coins and the gold that the gold comes out as shiny as the day it was made. So wow. uh,
0: Yeah, yeah. I would look at those mm-hmm. irregular ones like that. Now I, I see these guys. You see, everybody is wearing one. Do you? Do you have one that you wear around sometimes as well?
1: I, I I've got one. I don't really wear it too often. <laughs> My wife's got one uh, that she wears, and it's it's amazing. You know, uh, the people that will comment her on the coins first. You know, first time they usually think it's you know, is that a Roman coin or something, and she's like, no, it's a seventeen fifteen fleet coin, and. You know, if I was on the Treasure Coast, everybody knows what that is. But, you know, when you're somewhere else, and I don't know how many times we've been out, you know, having dinner at a restaurant or something, and it sparks that conversation. of, Well, what is that? And yeah. I get a chance to tell the story of the 1715 fleet. And, you know, people have never heard of it. And uh, it's amazing. Yeah, that's
0: so it's, what it's I would history, have said. It's
1: me. history coming alive.
0: Exactly. So and that's what that's what I was talking about earlier. I If somebody would have said the 1715 fleet to me, you know, a month ago, I'd have been the, the what? Okay, what what is that? I had, what, I had no idea. Now, and that's what intrigues me to want to know more. And I know all the people that are watching right now—they're—they're are they're probably they That's why they're here because they they want to know more about this. This is this has been fascinating. I, I'm just loving uh, getting this information from you. I have, um, I have another picture here. I'll show real quick. Uh, this is, again, uh, I, and, oh, I've forgotten his name. Okay, Mike Perna. And somebody said Mike makes everybody look lazy. That was Bill. Was Mike's
1: kidding. one of the hardest workers. And when I met him, he still lived at home. I think he was working. They were paying him $50 a week. And he had he had cigarette money and money to go to the movies. And he was treasure diving. you know, and <laughs> this is what he's always wanted to do. And now he's one of the most highly respected uh, and hardest working captains out there on, on the fleet.
0: Yeah, he's he's holding this, and I guess this is a, a silver. It's the silver plate. The silver plate. The, mount, the mounted horseman. Yeah, the horse. I can zoom in yeah. on that a little bit. You can definitely see the horse there. Wow. Yeah. Now, would that, that I'm assuming that probably was encrusted pretty well as well, and they had to, to go through that process to clean it off. Maybe actually,
1: that was enough. It was found all together. They think it probably, you know, was all contained in one chest. Wow. And it kind of protected, you know, the uh, so that's the way that was found and that's going to go, that's in their conservation lab and that's going to be conserved and, and, uh, you know, restored back to, you know, being silver. Wow. Do
2: you have the other one there, Jeff? Was the...
0: Yeah. Yeah. The... I was going to, yeah, that's coming up next here. And I know okay. this was another piece that was really cool. I mean, I just loved seeing these things. And then there was, oh, and then there's a, a gold coin. Obviously. And this piece right here. And I got a better. This is the one. Yeah, right here.
2: This is the one that struck my eye. Yeah. It, it's supposedly, you know, Aztec or whatever. I'm not doubting that for a second. But where would they get the idea to do the shape of a lion?
0: There's not lions down there yeah. that I know of. They'd have pumas,
2: cougars, etc. cetera. But where would they ever get the idea
0: to do the shape of a lion? Right.
1: Yeah, that's one of those, uh, you know, mysteries. <laughs> one of
2: those great, one of those great unsolved
0: must have had somebody went over to, you know, I sailed to, I don't know. I mean, that's that's one of those big mysteries again. Yeah. That, uh, um, you know, you, you've tried to figure out how would they have known that? Did they sail across? I mean, was there, well, that, there, was,
1: there was, there were Spanish artisans over here, you know, okay. by that point in time, we're, you know, Two hundred years into the conquest.
0: Okay, so that's true. Yeah, very that, true. That,
1: that probably is not, you know, Aztec, Inca, made. it's probably uh, some outside know, influence. Outside influence for sure.
0: There's another person, Will. I guess <laughs> he was talking yeah. to uh, to Bill. Well,
1: Will is one of my uh, dive buddies that uh, he's my friend that I went and met with Bob Weller with the very first time we took that road trip from Toledo, Ohio. How you doing, Billy? <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. What an amazing amount of information. It is. It truly is. Mm-hmm. I you know that and so I think Bill said something about uh uh oh what did he say right here? Oh, it went, okay, he said some Mexican silversmiths did work uh worthy of being shipped back to Spain as well. Um he mentioned he he had a comment that he mentioned about uh, uh let's see. Oh, it being a um that you could tell stories i mean some of the stories oh here it is right here uh uh mo was the uh, most loved sailor rob could do a whole show just on mole a uh, mo molinar stories wow that's that's fa- and i tell you what we're gonna have to at some point folks we're gonna have to have all these guys on the show <laughs> i you know this could i, I don't know this, mo,
1: this... Mo, was, mo was a fantastic guy And in this business, there's a lot of professional jealousy and -and so-and-so doesn't like so-and-so. And -and Mo is the one person that nobody ever said, you know, a bad word about him. Uh, He was basically beloved by all. And it was, uh, you know, he was one of my childhood heroes. And, you know, here I am getting a chance to work with him, you know, one day. I've I've got actually some artifacts pulled up on my screen that uh, were found by Mo Molinar. Oh, really? Uh, Share one more time.
0: Sure. Yeah. This oh, wow. Would,
1: uh, venture to guess what this is. I
0: it looks like a feeler gauge to me, but I don't.
1: <laughs> this actually is a gold manicure set. This would have belonged to a rich Spanish nobleman. Okay. I <clears throat> actually had yep. uh, See it now. nail clippers and uh, you know a file, and, you know, for the for <laughs> your for your uh, you know for your significant other, you know, for Christmas this year, if they you, you know get them a gold manicure set. And uh, actually, one of the devices on this is actually an earwax spoon.
0: Oh, really? And, wow. Uh,
1: and I give this talk, I've given this talk to, uh, you know, museums and schoolchildren. And, and, you know, the, the result is, ooh. And, and you're like, you know, they didn't have two tips back then. You know, people, right. regular things that we use today that, uh, you know, how's, how's a, you know, a Spaniard in 1715 going to clear their ears out? Well, you know, gold earwax spoon. Yeah. Uh, this is a gold rosary that was found by Mo. Now of course oh, the Spanish wow. were Catholics, so you find a lot of uh, jewelry that's religious in nature. Mm. Uh, there's the medallions that are on this gold rosary that Mo found. Now those gold, people
2: I found just loose on the ocean floor or were they part of a chest or container?
1: Yeah, you know, hard saying. It, it could have been uh belong it could have been belonged to a, a, a sailor or a passenger or it could have been part of cargo, but when you're finding stuff like this uh you know it, it's very personal right. here's here's another uh this is another gold earwax spoon it's in the shape of a dragon so it's got <laughs> you know the oriental motif of uh, you know it's kind of like an oriental dragon and the dragon's tongue is a, is a earwax spoon
0: that's amazing
1: and this is a
0: oh look at that
1: this is a beautiful piece called the order of the holy spirit and uh i've got a friend named jim who actually owns this piece oh my and, goodness uh, and they think this could have possibly been made, you know, for for the king. So, uh, mm-hmm. and it's laying on top of uh, gold coins that Mo Molnar found 821 gold coins uh, over the course of a few days in 1988. Well, that was before my involvement with them. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's the kind of person that Mo was. He was a very successful salver. And uh, if you met him on the street, you would you would have never, he was just an every everyday uh, normal guy.
2: Wow. Can't imagine finding one cone little coin. Oh, little I, know,
0: I know, I know. I that just fascinates me to have two... so
1: there's you know, there's a lot that's been found and that you know, there is still a lot out there. I have no doubt about it.
0: Oh man. Yeah. So that's why you're still at it, right? I mean
1: I do it as a hobby now. It, it keeps <laughs> keeps me you know, I work for a company that does archaeology. We do a lot of stuff for the oil and gas industry. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a lot of it's deep water with robotics and ROVs and AUVs and course if you're trying to do a pipeline from point a to point b you know they don't want to find anything you know they, they want to hear that their their survey corridor is clear and
2: uh, yeah. so
1: you know i go back uh, when i we go see my wife's family and we we try to get over to Florida as much as we can and you know i've got you know different friends and uh you know it's just kind of like a reunion every time i go back
0: yeah i would imagine wow that's great i mean what a what a fascinating uh story and again like and i seen some of the people jumping up here saying that you know yeah uh you know we need to at some point uh dig into this a little deeper down the road here um obviously we're, we're deep into uh, beyond oak island and oak island and john edwards and i do a show called beyond our world where we get into paranormal and ufos and uap stuff like that but we're going to have to do a show at some point. We're going to have to rally you guys all together and see if we can really, I mean, this is
1: fascinating stuff. What i, do you I got a little bit more time still. I'm still good to go. Oh, okay, so, good. All if right. Anybody's got any questions or anything?
0: Yeah, I was going to throw that out there to uh, anybody who wants to. And, again, I, I did not do a very good job of watching the chat, um, and I'm sure there were some questions that I missed out there. If anybody, if you asked a question and I did not bring it up already, uh, please uh, throw your question up again. Uh, And we'll we'll present it to uh, Rob here and see uh, what he has to say. So feel free to throw any questions up you may have.
2: Um, I was kind of watching the chat a bit, and there's not wasn't a lot of questions. They were all glued to the screen. I think,
0: yeah, (laughs) and saying things like "Wow, that's a fascinating encrusted chain." It looks like a encrusted chain. Some people were talking about some of the things that the pictures that went by earlier. Um, You know, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, that's that's for sure. So uh,
2: so when you're this close to the shore and you're and, and they're doing an archaeological dig or a treasure dig, what kind of protect like it must be tough to keep the people from the shore from trying to sneak in at night and take things over?
1: You're uh you're talking to yep. <laughs> they're they're <laughs> modern day pirates that'll go out there at night and uh you know, there's different people that have been caught doing that, and there's other people that are probably doing it and have never been caught. So uh you know, one of the things is with uh, the 1715 Fleet Queen's Jewels is uh, this, the subcontractors all have numbers. they got a place on their boats, so you know that they're out there legitimately. And, uh, mm. you know, they've gone through some training, and, and, you know, it's in their best interest to keep accurate records. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, uh, yeah they're, they're you hear stories all the time of if people, you know, trying to go out there at night.
0: Or right there. Whatever else. Yeah, that was Janet. Janet asked that question. Have you ever had uh, the modern day pirates out there to try to steal your dive site? Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Wow, and and you mentioned you showed that one picture of how close you were to the shore, and people are like, "What are you guys doing out here?" And you're like, "Oh, nothing. We're you know looking for good fishing spots." <laughs> they, they pretty
1: much know what. Yeah, I, I would
0: are. imagine. Yeah. I mean, when they, they see,
1: see that, you know, the blower on the back of a boat, it's it's common knowledge. Yeah,
0: it's kind of a giveaway. On
1: the treasure Coast.
0: Yep. Um, let's see, this was, let's see, let me look, I, I got to get the name over on the Facebook side. Let's see. Uh, wasn't one of the ships, wasn't one of the ships found in the river trying to escape the hurricane? I didn't know there was one, a ship found in the river. That was, uh, Laura, Laura asked that question.
1: I don't think there's any ship that's, you know, been found in the river, but on the lagoon side, they have found treasure on the opposite side. And they think that that hurricane was so fierce and the swells were so high that they lifted, stuff up and over so there has storm been hurricane. stuff found in
0: in the indian river lagoon yeah a uh, storm the...
1: surge from the hurricane would be yep yeah absolutely uh
0: mole uh matt i'm sorry matt cole asked this question um how could somebody get started if they were serious about treasure hunting oh how would you get into the business today uh <laughs> i mean you found your way in uh but you were had a fascination for it you went to school and everything else but as a kid Uh, You were able to get into it. So how would somebody do that? They they could
1: reach out to me on Facebook. I could put them in touch with, you know, the right people. Uh, I could steer them clear from the wrong people. (laughs) Yeah. I've always said, uh, you know, this business attracts a lot of schemers and dreamers and men. And I've always, uh, one of my things is uh, in this business, I can count the people I trust on one hand. Yeah. If i cut two of my fingers off.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So... Yep. Uh, let's see. Uh, let's see. Okay. Here's one from Karen. She says, um, "So the Spanish were on the American shores minting coins and also form uh, forming jewelry. Spanish were okay. So this would be from the re- finding these things. Either re- are you talking about the recovering of it, Karen, or are you talking about fi- finding gold and then?" Yeah, minting their own coins and form jewelry. So I don't know. Were they were they involved in that sort of thing or were they actually just taking everything back that they probably from where well, they got?
1: Original, originally stuff was being sent back as as plunder. They were taking the ornaments that you know the Aztecs and the Incas wore, you know, the armbands and the jewelry, and they were you mm-hmm. know sending that back. But eventually they you know they started doing their own mining. And you know, they established mints in you know several you know several cities throughout mm. South America and, and Mexico. So there there was a mint in Cartagena, there was a ah, so yeah. there, there was a mint in Mexico City, uh, Cusco in Peru. Uh, you know, they found a the silver mine in, in Potosi that uh, so there was Spanish colonial mints, they were mm-hmm. minting the coinage.
2: Now, some of these silver bars and gold bars that they find, would that just be loot that they melted down to, to make it easier, more to transport.
1: transportable? Uh, yeah, some of the silver bars definitely were sending it back. And you'll find silver bars with tax stamps saying that the King 405th had been paid. And mm-hmm. then you'll find silver bars that don't have any stamps on you know whatsoever that would indicate that it was probably being smuggled back as contraband. The yeah.
0: first money launderers. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh Janet asked this question here. Uh how do you do you sell this? Do you sell any of these things? Or is it done by private auction or auction or by private sale? Or I mean if you come back with you know six hundred and some coins, I mean, what happens to all of that? Are you allowed to just keep it? I mean, how does that work nowadays? It
1: actually this this is actually uh there's there's contracts with the state of Florida mm-hmm. and uh the shipwrecks actually there are Florida state waters. So Florida actually owns the the shipwrecks mm-hmm. and that they do salvage agreements where the salvers get to keep 80% and you know the state of Florida gets 20%. And there's a museum in Tallahassee, the state museum that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's all kinds of beautiful things in the museum that, that they would not be there if it wasn't for the private sector salvers. Right. So, uh, the parent company gets, uh, you know, you get to keep a portion of your fines, and then you know whatever agreement they have with, with their right. various investors or that within their own group. You know.
0: So let's say that you know I you know I could never afford one, but let's say that I I wanted to buy a gold coin or a silver coin that was brought up from here. Is that possible for a person to be able to do that?
1: That's that's possible. There's actually uh, several options that take take place a couple times a year, and, and stuff you know, is in yeah. these options uh you know you can find stuff uh, you could do seventeen fifteen fleet search on ebay and, and see some of the coins that are for sale mm. you got to be careful because there's there's coins out there that aren't you know that might not be real right so you know you look for certificates of authenticity that right. that companies like queen's jewels would make and have pictures of the coins and you know you've got to you've got to you know and collecting anything or buying anything you've got to do your research
0: Oh yeah absolutely, yeah
1: for sure
2: <clears throat> so when so when you're searching for a particular ship and you're following the trail along the ocean floor, and that could go for miles, I presume, how do you determine who is going to when when you find that that piece of land? do you have to actually put a lease on that piece of land or you just take out a, a declaration on that site, how does that work?
1: uh, you're actually working under the parent company. And, uh, you know, there's some, some rules in place that uh, if you put some, you know, double red buoys out, you know, no, no other salver is supposed to go within a certain distance from your boat and you're, you're allowed to work that area. But, uh, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, you know, back in the early days, it was like a wild, wild west out there and, uh, you know, but then there's, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're all working under a subcontract agreement and there's there's, you know, things in place. Mm -hmm. you know keep people you know proper distance away from everybody else
0: right uh bc saint Jean asked that question there what is the oldest piece uh that you've found
1: um boy (laughs) probably probably some of the uh the stuff i did when i was uh in graduate school working in bermuda bermuda's uh surrounded by shipwrecks it was Mm -hmm. founded uh that was actually was founded by shipwreck survivors. There was a ship that was uh, headed to Jamestown in 1619. Wow. Uh, it wrecked off Bermuda, and uh, they went on to Jamestown, and they found out Jamestown wasn't all what it was cracked up to be. Everybody was starving to death, and it was cold, mm. and Bermuda was nicer. So they actually built another ship, returned to Bermuda, and founded the colony. Wow. And I had the, the opportunity to dive on that shipwreck. So that's one of the older shipwrecks I've ever dove on.
0: Yeah. Wow. The Caribbean or somewhere that's cold. And, and yeah, I'm thinking Caribbean. I think I'd rather live. Down there. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Um, Here, the awoken one, he's a regular, uh, the awoken one is a regular. I say he, uh, the awoken one is a regular on our show. Uh, most every show I have. And again, asking that same question that uh, is there any chance you could come back? Yeah, I, I sure hope so. We're going to, we're going to work on that. I'll, uh, uh, you know, see if we can work that out sometime uh, linda who's a admin with jan they're admins of our channel um or our facebook group and said you know summer show this would be a great summer show so i mean are you do you get pretty busy in the summer or you said vacations now is when you no, go down I, I
1: can always make time for this i mean it's uh,
0: okay that's great thank you, <laughs> you know,
1: got a computer we'll travel and you know that's you true yeah any evening now you know
0: actually it'd be kind of cool to catch you while you're down there that'd be kind of fun too um to see what uh, i know you're on vacation you don't want to be worrying about doing something like that but boy that'd be kind of fun um let's I, I see. Go on.
1: it's a working vacation usually uh you know i've got a wonderful wife she lets me go and do my thing <laughs> and she had somebody ask me not to i go you know who he stays with and who he's She's like he's off doing his thing <laughs> and I've, I've been blessed i've had the opportunity to uh, you know bring some of my kids along and they've been out on the boat and,
0: uh, oh see you know,
1: my oldest son is getting ready to learn to dive and uh how old is he? Uh, he's going to be fifteen.
0: Wow! See, that's pretty. He's going to get right in there. Oh and he, and man! He's
1: been kind of our deckhand for a couple of years, and, uh, and he swims like a fish. And wow. when I actually went to do Oak Island, uh, I took my my daughter Allison with me. She's she's still not in school, mm-hmm. and she so it's a daddy daughter trip to Florida. And she got to meet those are the guys from TV.
0: Daddy, <laughs> so, <laughs> nice.
1: We went down to and had breakfast at the hotel lobby, and you know the table next to us is the, was Marty and Rick were having their breakfast, and we joined them. So I've got a picture with, with her and, and the Oak Island guys and my my fourteen year old son. who was a big big fan of the show, and he was very very jealous that his sister got to meet those guys from TV. <laughs> so.
0: the guys from TV. I know I haven't I haven't met them two yet either. Uh, hopefully one day uh, we'll get to. Mm-hmm. um but you know some many of the uh, i tell you what that is the one thing about this show uh that i that i have been absolutely blessed with it is a fact that uh by doing this show and tom is knowing that now too as well is that you get to meet such fascinating wonderful people like yourself and that has been a blessing of the show since i started doing it uh so many great people that we've met over the years and and so many up in the in the canada up there now like like tom and Henry and Colin and all the guys that are like, you got to come up here so you can check it out. I've never been up there yet. I talk about Oak Island all the time, never been up there. Um, so I'm really looking forward to getting up. There. But that has been the blessing of the show is to really have an opportunity to meet such great people, um, you know, in, in this way. It's really been great. Um, wanted to ask the question, are there salvage uh, salvages just confined to Florida or are there other states involved as well that you might know of or have been part of?
1: Uh, all, all different states have different rules and regulations. Uh, mm-hmm. Florida is the one that you know, I'm most familiar with, of course. But, uh, you know, there's shipwrecks all along the, the coast. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, there's shipwrecks off Texas. The, the pirate ship Witta uh, was found off Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's different rules and regulations in every state.
0: You're right. Oh, yeah, I would imagine for sure. I know that we had um, one of the very first uh, episodes. That, well, it was the very first episode of uh, Beyond, Oak, uh, Beyond Oak Island. Uh, season one, episode one was with um, um, Christian Roper. And Christian is a young guy who was working on the Jean Lafitte uh, pirate. And that whole, uh, you're looking at what might have gone up into Texas, uh, he was working on that and still is. We had him come back uh, last year and meet with us again he's working on a documentary and some stuff so yeah i mean there's there's and that whole part of it the piracy side is where he took us down that road and just again such fascinating information that you know we, i never i i had never even heard of lafitte before and now he's introducing me to that side of it you probably know about that him as well i would imagine um but again it's just such fascinating stuff uh let's see Um, Ed Spencer wants to know if they could tell uh, her stolen gold was from. If you had stolen gold, uh, where the gold?
2: How would you be able to tell where that gold was originally from? I think is the question.
0: Okay. All right. Might be hard to identify, right?
1: Yeah, that's more of a metallurgist question. Unless
0: it had a stamp on it of some sort. Mm -hmm. You could identify the stamp maybe. Is that, is that pretty you normal? Know, you see those stamps on there. Is there, that's that might, that's a good question. I just thought of, is that going to help you to identify who, what, where, why, when, that sort of thing from the stamps Did they all have a different stamp?
1: A, a lot of it, a lot of the different stuff that's stamped, it's it's going to be stamped with a uh, assayer. Uh, you know, it's going to be stamped with the fineness of, of the mm-hmm. carrot of what it's, you know, uh, right. it, the weight stamped on it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's there's
0: a lot of little clues. Uh, I'm just reading some of the information that uh, Linda's sharing with me here. All right, I'm going to look around see what else we've got. Uh, do hunters on the beach keep what they find, or does Florida keep? Oh, there, yeah, he, yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit. It was at twenty percent. Yeah,
1: that's for stuff in the water. Now, now on the beach, it's finders keepers. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think Gary made that
2: comment in one of the episodes. So yes. If you find, yeah, it, if right. you find it, it in the sand, it's yours. Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Even if it's, like, right there where the water's lapping up, it was kind of in the water. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: You're low tide on goes the out. beach.
0: You're on the beach. So Low tide. Yeah, low tide. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, uh, Bill, Bill jumped in there with that. The answer to any question of what is the oldest... Uh, is always our friend <laughs> Carl. Is <laughs> the oldest find. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, so yeah, somebody must have. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my goodness! Wow, what a what a neat group. I tell you what, that's that's you got a great group of people that you're you uh, are uh, part of there. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. Let me see. Um, Let's see. I'm just looking to see if there's any other questions that I may have missed. It looks like we got them all. Um, We have 132 comments just on the Facebook side for today's show already, and we've had a good crowd. Uh, All right. We're going to start to. I always do this. Linda says, don't tell them you're going to wrap up until you're actually wrapping up, because then I ramble on for another 10 minutes. But uh, all right. Looks like we've uh, had a a good uh, chance for you guys to ask these questions. It looks like we're about. Uh, done. Luke, oh, Luke, uh, said, Yeah, glued to the screen. That's what he was referring to. Uh, not asking questions because he was glued to the screen the whole time. This has been fascinating, Tom. Do you have any other questions you want to oh, ask? That's an amazing, amazing hour and a half, or I guess closing in on two hours oh, now. Two hours or ten great,
1: minutes. Five, uh,
2: fantastic presentation, really appreciate it. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, having
1: fun, I
0: guess. oh man, absolutely. I tell you, this is truly having a great time. This has been wonderful, and like I said, we have to have you come back. Uh, and do this again at some point. This will be a good summer, a good summer thing, because once Oak Island wraps up here, what, April timeframe, the end of April, uh, then they get back working on the island. But, again, that's why the the name of our show and uh, the the, uh, Facebook group is uh, Curse of Oak Island and Beyond, not just beyond Oak Island, but anything that is basically that interests us that we want to talk about this is one of those times where we uh, got a chance to go beyond and really get something that is really interesting. And so again, I wanted to thank you for being here with us today, uh, Rob. Um, and again, we're going to work with you and see if we can get you to come back. Tom Burns, thank you so much uh, for co-hosting. with Pleasure. Uh, We're going to do this again, uh, not next week. We don't have a show next week. Um, and actually I'm going to be heading up to uh, Michigan. I'm going up to the UP of Michigan, where it's just where I'm originally from. I'm going to be hanging out there for a, a long weekend and having a little fun up there, a little time away. Um, but we will definitely get these guys to come back uh, and uh, carry this some more. Uh, in wrapping up, folks, I wanted to say thank you so much for being here with us tonight. Again, thank you, Rob and Bill and all the guys that joined out there. Um, it was a fascinating evening. Um, I guess the next time we have a show is will be on next Wednesday night. We have The Curse of Oak Island and Beyond, where we'll be talking about episode number 13. Um, and we're going to get to see them come out there with the uh, I I don't know if we're going to actually get to see them put down a can but they're getting set up for the cans out there but they do have a find in the swamp and uh, this is supposed to be a great find having to do with maybe that ship I don't know that they found in the swamp Uh, they were finishing up there so they found something very significant I forget they called it an ancient find in the in the swamp so we'll get to see what that's about next week and again we'll be here on wednesday night 7 30 to talk about that so again if you're out there on the youtube side please click on that subscribe button for us we really appreciate that give us a thumbs up if you like the content of the show and we also have our patreon channel it's uh, patreon.com and again jfree 906 if you'd like to help support the show again we appreciate that very much for our patrons that we have out there we've had a great night again thank you rob for being here with us and uh, we will see you next time right here on the curse of oak island and beyond live stream good night everybody hang out nice probably appreciate
1: it all
0: right bye-bye now